That's good. You weren't in a minute. <laughs> you know, the laugh tells, it's very, you know, it conveys the idea that people know what I'm going to speak about this morning or what's on the list. <laughs> Fred, yes, that's right, yeah. He said it's painful. Well, I think every message should be painful, shouldn't it, really, in a sense? Well, not every message. It should be encouraging, shouldn't it, as well? But in a minute, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 17. Um, I understand there's a few people here this morning who haven't been in on the series of Genesis. We've been going through some chapters in Genesis, um, learning about different people, different situations, and um, we've, we've been, a couple of weeks we've been dealing with Abraham and, um, and trying to learn something from his life, his activity, and how God, and how God dealt with him. It's difficult to come in in the middle of a series and understand that. And um, last week uh, we had a tremendous message about um, Abraham and the question was asked, who are you listening to? There are, we live in a world with many, many voices, many, many things said to attract us. I mean, I was listening to Premier Radio this morning and uh, the chap was really milking the listeners for money. And... Um, and I thought to myself, well, there's lots of people just listening in that, and they'll just give because they believe in Premier Radio or something like that. And, of course, there's lots of voices around. Children in need, people who give money, you know, because there's a voice of need being sent out, you know, into the, into the world. Um, but there was this time in Abraham's life um, when God had promised him a child because they were old and they, up to that point, they couldn't have a child, 80s, 70s and 80s, past the time of childbearing and God had promised Abraham and Sarah, you know, that they would have a child. Um, at that point, um, they weren't quite sure how it was going to be worked out and actually they come up with this plan, you see, that, um, okay, um, well, if so-and-so down the road, they... If they wanted a child and they couldn't have one, they'd sort of get the man to sleep with the servant girl and they'd have a child through that way. That was an acceptable thing. So that the, uh, so that the generations might be maintained and in the Jewish culture or just the culture of that day it was very, very important to have a child. More important, it was important to have a son and an heir so that the family might be reproduced and go on and that... Uh, God's plan might uh, be uh, dealt with in order that they, they should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people. That was God's plan. And so maybe on the back of that, or not on the back of that, they, um, procreation was about filling the earth and multiplying and, and having a family and having a name and being someone in society. Um, so Abraham and Sarah, so Abraham and Sarah come up with this idea that that's what would happen. Ishmael was the child that was born, not through Sarah, but through Hagar, the servant girl. And so our speaker last week challenged us with this point. Are you listening to God or are you listening to culture? Are you listening to something else around us? 
I think as Christians here in church, you know, we, we always need to be careful who we're listening to. And that, that was a sort of message we had last week. In chapter 17 of Genesis, becoming um, the very, very important time in history. Up to this point, it's sort of been men seeking after God. But there's a change here now, and it's becoming God seeking after man. He wants people. He wants to do something with people. He wants to start again with people. He wants to fill this earth with his glory. He wants to change lives in this earth. He wants to bring his plan to fruition because God has a great plan. Underneath all that's going on today, God has a plan. And we're part of that. We could call it the great plan of redemption. God is to make good what's gone wrong. Even with our lives here this morning, like David said in the word he brought, and it's been amazing this morning in our worship how every word, every prayer has been complicit with the thoughts that are in this passage, Genesis 17 this morning. Calling him Lord, doing the things and not doing the things that God asks us to do. You know? And David's word was almost exact over the passage. God wants to reveal himself to us, which is exactly how the chapter starts off this morning. God wanted to speak to Abraham. There have been sort of 13 years when God hadn't said anything to Abraham, and I just wonder how he must have felt at that time. There were lots of other voices around him, but there's only one voice he wanted to hear, and that was the voice of God. He wanted to know. His heart was in that place where he wanted to know what God was saying. I wonder if our hearts this morning and our lives were in the place where we really want to know what God is saying as a church and as individuals. Do we really want to know what God says? And when the message comes back that's very, very difficult, it's not so easy, is it? Why do you call me Lord? And do not the things I say. Very challenging, isn't it? Just in, in its simplicity, God's word is there for us to learn and to understand about him, his love, and everything like that. So um, this morning we, um, we come to the point where Abraham comes to God and wants to make an agreement here. He wants to lay down some some things which are important, but he wants to make a covenant agreement with Abraham. Remember, this is God now seeking after man, that he can work with man. He just doesn't do it on his own. He wants a people to work with, a a willing people, people who can work out his purposes in the earth. He just doesn't do it on his own. That's why he created Adam and Eve in his own image, after his likeness, because he loves people. We are the image of God himself. The writers in the New Testament remind us that. Remember one thing. We're not animals. Animals aren't created in the image of God. But we are. Because he wants us to reflect him. To be him in the world. So God wants to make a covenant. with. He wants to work with him. 
And Abraham's a suitable man. He's a suitable candidate. Not because he's any better than anybody else, necessarily. Although he has some good characteristics. But God wanted to demonstrate, I have a plan. I want to work with people and Abraham's the man. I can do it with him. And you know, to each of us this morning, because in actual fact we're under a different covenant, God can do it with you. Doesn't matter. Don't look at your failures. Don't look at the difficulties. Don't look at the hardship or the lack of finance. God can do it with you and me, what he wants to do. Maybe he wants to start this morning like he started with Abraham. So this covenant involves something which is quite important, which we've come to a bit later on. And I think actually on the preaching list this morning, it's just got the word circumcision, male circumcision. So I brought something along that would help us this morning. The Bible talks about male circumcision, not female circumcision, or anything like that, okay? So maybe this is the one thing. Someone said it would be painful this morning, but I'm sure, I'm sure it would. You know, if you go online on the internet, you can buy a pretty good circumcision kit for about 40 quid. It's got nice trays lined with felt and all the surgical instruments in it. You can actually buy a starter and training kit. <laughs> it's amazing. You have this model with, with anatomical things on it. And you can learn how to do it properly. And I laughed when I read this one. You can get a circumcision kit from... Uh, from Go- no, sorry, it's, I forget what it is now. It's uh, Goose something. And um, Grateful Goose, that was it. I couldn't remember the line, the line of the address line of the people you can get it from. From Grateful Goose, you can get a circumcision kit. But the point here is, we're reading this morning here about something which happened thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. And that all of the apostles of the New Testament say circumcision has no value now in God's covenant. That's what the apostles would tell us. It has no value, and that's true. That's why we don't do it, because it has no value with Jesus having fulfilled all that God required. But it doesn't mean to say that it's unimportant. You know, it's as good today for then even although it's been done away with. Because it had a purpose and because it had a meaning. It should remind us, too, that we can't do away with our Bibles because they reveal the whole truth of history, not just something that happened in the past, but how it applies today. And that's a question we must ask ourselves. What is, what is, what is being said to us? How does it apply today? I won't be needing this, you'll be glad to know. But you see, 
my first introduction line, when I come to it, will be joke or no joke. You know, when my fellow elders said to me I was preaching on this subject, it was immediately a joke to them. No seriousness about them. John came up with a suitable title for the subject this morning. He reminded me, a cut above the rest. And then Steve had to add his bit, of course, and he said, well, it could be no skin off my nose. Immediately, it becomes a joke. But it was no joke to the people who had to do it. No joke at all. You know, even Jewish comedians, it's a constant joke the whole time. So it may be. But you know, when it comes over, joke or no joke? No joke. I'm just going to read this passage, Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, I don't think there's anybody here that age this morning. But if God wanted to reveal himself to a man of that age, just be ready for what God has to say to us this morning. God's not finished with anybody this morning. God wants, you, wants to reveal himself, as David said, God wants to reveal him. He loves to reveal himself to us. Gerald, I think you had a, an experience this week, didn't you? Do you feel in some way God was, revealed his joy to you? He did. Excellent. You see, we're not too old, no one's too old for God to reveal himself in some way. When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, it's about four times through this reading, when we read, and God said, and God said, and God said. Some people say, God never speaks to me. Let me tell you the coming of Jesus God has spoken to you. Just the fact that Jesus has come, God has spoken to each one of us. Because he is God's word to the world. You say, he's not spoken to me. Ah, it is to you. Because the very fact that Jesus came into this world is a word for every individual. In Hebrews it tells us, God having spoken by his prophets in times in the past... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he's appointed heir of all things. Let me tell you, just as that word came singularly to Abraham here, it's the same thought. When Jesus came, it's an individual world to the person in the whole world. It's a message for everybody. No one's left out. It's not for a specific group of people. It's not for a specific person like it was here for Abraham, to, for his covenant. It's for everyone. God has spoken to each person through Jesus. That's why he came in the flesh like a human. So humans might understand why he came. I mean, the very fact that God speaks from heaven and there was no visible person maybe for Abraham to, to connect with in that sense. 
you know, it was still God coming, God revealing, and it was sort of, in a sense, you could call it ethereal. You know, it was sort of beyond other people at that time. But the coming of Jesus is a personal world, and it's not beyond anybody. Even a child as young as five or six. My little grandson Nathan went to church with his daddy the other week, and um, when they came out, he said, Daddy? Yep, said Peter. He said, what that, what that man said this morning, I've done. He said, I've given my heart to Jesus. When Jesus comes, as we see Jesus in this world, when he came, it was an individual word to every person born on the planet. Even those who were born before Jesus came. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and you may multiply and multiply you greatly. Abraham hadn't heard a word for 13 years. And you say, well, why did God keep silent? Was God's program held back 13 years because Abraham overstepped the mark? Possible. You know, sometimes when we go down wrong paths, the progress for us growing into God may be set aside and it might take longer than what it should do. Because God has a word for us to do. But it says, walk before me. That word walk is very interesting. But it's about progress. It's about progress. And walk before me has three dimensions to it. We'll come to that later, but aren't there? Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Ha! <laughs> if, if he'd have told that to his neighbours, they'd have laughed at him, wouldn't they? Hmm? No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Let's pause a moment. You know, David and the psalmist always pausing when he said things. And you have the little word, Selah. God wanted to make him exceedingly fruitful. You know, God wants to do that with each one of us today. That's his purpose in calling us to himself and doing for us what we couldn't do ourselves, saving us. And he wants to give us his life-giving spirit. He wants us not only to have the fruit of the spirit in our lives so that other people can see, he wants us to be fruitful. The things that we can't grasp with our hands, the things we can't get through counsellors or other things, the things which are beyond other people who may be proficient in different things they may offer us, God can give us. It's like the peace of God. It passes, un it passes all understanding. That means the intellectuals can't help here, doesn't it? It means those who may be proficient. They may help, and that's good, 
But there are things outside the reach of other people that we can have that only God can give us. One of those things is peace. Sure peace. Another one is joy. Even when things go wrong, there can be still a sense of well-being, you know? I mean, the experience for Abraham towards the end of this reading is painful, really painful, and yet he knew it was right because God wanted him to be fruitful. He wanted to give this world something. They say, we can't get this anywhere else. In fact, the Jewish nation was meant to be that. This is where it started. It was meant to be that God should be so among them that the people around said, look at that, we want some of that. We want some of that. But you look at the Jewish nation today, most unappealing, and yet they were there that the world might have an experience of God that was real. Yet it seems to go on just awry, doesn't it? But this is where it began, and that's what God wanted for his world. Let's continue. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. What a covenant. What a program. What a program. Be fruitful. You multiply. And I want to work out a program that's not going to be just for time. It's going to be for eternity. When Jesus came and offered us salvation and to take away the fear of death and to give us new life and joy and peace, it starts now, but it goes on for eternity. And death can't interfere with it because Jesus has destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And even if anybody has that fear this morning, the fear of dying, the fear of death, the fear of the future, what that really means, who knows, there's only one person that can take that away, and that's Jesus. He can give us that hope. He can give us that assurance. He can give us a sense that whatever happens to me in this life here, God will make it right, but for eternity. He'll bring us in to his purposes. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I think that's a tremendous thing, isn't it? God wants to be all to people what he really wanted to be in the first place. A friend, a companion, a helper. Not a sense of lostness, but a sense of knowing and understanding all the heart of God. In actual fact, God wanted to see himself reflected in us. Which is quite powerful when you think about it. But because of sin, it all fell away. And that's why we call this world a fallen world. That's why we call the human race fallen in sin and lost. Because we've fallen away from all that God wanted to. And the wonderful thing is that God promises, I want to be their God. When you come to revelation and the consummation of all things, and the plan for the future then is, I will be their God, but it doesn't finish there. It says, and they will be my people. 
and they will be my people. Thanks be to God for Jesus, who alone can do that. Isn't that wonderful? The relationship restored, everything working good. Enjoying all that God is in himself. That power, that love, that overflowing which David talked about in the Psalms. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my, this is my, oh, I must lift something out there. Let's start every male, because that's the bit I'm coming to you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant. And that word sign jumped out to me when I last read it. What God was asking them to do was actually going to be a sign. Now that, it could become laughable, that, couldn't it, in a sense. It would be a sign, but mainly a sign to those who'd had it done to them. If, you, if it was done to a child growing up, or if it was done to an adult, it was a sign. A sign, but it's not a sign that you can flash about, is it, and say... <laughs> How do you know? But signs are important in the New Testament, aren't they? In the, in the whole of the Bible, when God gives a sign, it's a sign that God's done something or doing something that he promises to keep to it. I just thought of that, we're coming up to Christmas, and I just thought that the word of the angel to the shepherds, and this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now that's totally the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? A few strips of cloth wrapped around a baby will be a sign. Throughout God's word, he gives signs. So it's important today as it was then, because it was a sign. Even though it has no value today, as believers, as Christians. But it's a sign. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. That's a bit good statement, isn't it? He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah 
who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, from whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Wow. The picture is becoming clear now. A time and then a name. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. This is where it's no joke. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. That's, there's a cost into coming into agreement with God. When we become Christians, if there's, if there's one word that I would want to let out this morning, it's the word commitment. Sometimes the fact that we become Christians, I just want to put those words, joke or no joke. In Syria, in Iraq, if you're a Christian, it's no joke. It's a life that's costly to them, for the, even down to their lives. But it doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't live with that thought in our minds. It doesn't mean to say that necessarily all of us are going to suffer because we become Christians, but it's costly. When we come to Jesus Christ and we receive what he's done for us on the cross, he gave his life for us. That was cost to him. And in a sense, he removed the punishment from us. The, cost, the punishment from us, he took him on himself. In his own body, the Bible tells us, on the tree... He took the punishment for my sin. But not only that, there was a legal, sort of a legal thing here. He dealt with sin. Now there's an issue here because very often I hear people talking about sin and sins and they get the two mixed up. When Jesus died on the cross, he died with sin. He dealt with it. He took it away. When, when, uh, uh, when John saw Jesus, he behold the Lamb of God which take away the sins of the world. No, it wasn't that. When John pointed to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. 
That's the fact that the world has fallen from God. He's removed that thing that offends God so that God can come to us in grace. That's why no one can come to God except through Jesus Christ. So Jesus has dealt with sin. He's he's dealt with the legal issue, but he also deals with the daily things, the sins. Because we can, the New Testament writer says, if we confess our sins, he's able to forgive our sins. And he can only forgive our sins because he's dealt with sin. The only way he can deal with it, he wants to deal with our sins this morning. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was a legal thing as well. As well as suffering for the punishment of our sins, past and future, he dealt with it there. The cost. The cost. Assurance and commitment. I want to ask three questions. How does God know that you are his? How do you really know you're his? How do others know that you're his? Three simple questions. How does God know that you're his? Now, Abraham, God had no doubts with Abraham because he did immediately what God said. And we can come to this sort of hard, dark line thing. We talk about obedience. You know, and that's a hard thing. It's almost a dark thing. But you know, with the life in the words that God said to him, and he was willing to be complicit with God asked him to do, that a covenant, an agreement with God might be made that day. When we become Christians, it's not just, yep, I'm coming, Lord. Jesus, I come. You love me so much, and I love you too. It's so nice. When we become Christians, we, the covenant is made with God for our lives to be saved. It's a deal. It's not just an owning by words. The deal has been done. The business has can be completed because Jesus made it possible for it to done that. So we come to him. We receive Jesus Christ as our saviour. Now, the Jewish nation, there are lots of rituals, lots of things they do that we don't understand, and they seem bizarre and difficult today. And being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, there are no rules. That's almost good, isn't it? But the things God asks us to do, circumcision has been taken away, it has no value, But in a sense, the way the New Testament writers put it is this. There are things that need to be taken away from our lives, cut off from our lives, particularly our hearts. They need to be taken away. We might use the word sanctification. That's a big word. But it's getting rid of the stuff that's unhelpful, growing into God and following him every day of our lives so that we may know the ultimate full blessing of God on our lives. How does God... No, you're his. New Testament, when, we, we, when people became Christians in the New Testament, they believed and then they were baptised. That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You believe 
and we're baptised, it's like putting your money where your mouth is, isn't it? And saying, I want to be complicit with what God requires, therefore I'm willing to take that step publicly and say I've, made that, I've taken that step, I make that step. There are lots of rules for the Jewish people. Currently, I think there are about 1,513 amendments to the original rules, to the last change rules that the Pharisees have to keep. There are no rules, but it's believe and be baptised. There are only two ordinances that we recognise in the church. Baptism and communion. Sort of two things that tell God, you know, I'm his. Anybody can say I'm a Christian, can't they? In countries where Christianity is not accepted and people are baptised, that means something there. It's easy here, isn't it? You go down in the waters, you're baptised. We identify with the death of Jesus Christ and we come up out of the water signifying our resurrection with Christ that death has no hold upon us and Jesus has dealt with death. But it's something we do to say to God, I'm real about this. Commitment. Commitment. Next one is how do I really know I'm his? Now there's a difference between doubt and insecurity. Doubt and insecurity. Doubt is something that's created by Satan when we're Christians. It makes us guilty, makes us feel guilty. Never do anything for God through a sense of guilt. It will come back and hit you in the face. Don't do things because you feel guilty, because a preacher's made you feel guilty, or something like that, because preachers can do that. They can, they can thrash the word of God out and people end up feeling guilty. That's not God's way. God will reveal something to us through his word if we're reading it. But if we don't read it, we've lost the opportunity for God to speak to us. So if God reveals something to us, never do anything out of guilt. So how do I know I'm a Christian? Well, I would think sometimes baptism helps us to confirm, to set the deal. It's a, it's a thing that God's Holy Spirit uses with us to understand God and to create a sense of oneness. We've done that. How do I know? By reading God's word and praying, if you like, talking to him. Creating a relationship. How do I know? How do I know that I am his? But there's one other thing. Paul in the, I think it's to the Corinthians, says, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. The Holy Spirit. We can't leave the Holy Spirit out of anything we do as Christians. But when God, when we become believers and God gives us his Holy Spirit, it creates a spiritual thing which can't be created intellectually or from the advice of other Christians. It's something we need to know personally. It's something spiritual. It's outside of the universities of this world. It's only in God's hands. His Spirit 
bears witness with our spirits that we're the children of God. Children of God. If you don't have that, I would suggest that you need to make sure that what you did before God was real. Because we live in a country that takes away the realness of it, because it's easy to say I'm a Christian, you go to the hospital and sign your form and say I'm C of E or I'm Christian or whatever, but we can do that but it might not mean anything. When we're born again of God's Spirit, He gives us His Spirit and it confirms in us something which we need to know that nobody else can do for us. How do I know that I am his? How do others know that I am his? These three characteristic evidences that God requires in wholeheartedness, God said to Abraham, walk before me blameless and wholehearted. There's two thoughts here in this. One is when it says perfect, in some versions say be perfect, it's not perfect without flaws and, and things like that. Perfect means whole heart. It means complete. It means complete. God has said to Abraham, I'm El Shaddai. I'm enough for you. Whatever this world offers you, materialism, money, enjoyment, happiness, comedy, whatever it is, whatever this world offers you, it'll fail. But I'm enough. I'm enough. I can fill that void in you that no one else can fill. So it has three characteristic evidences that God regards as wholehearted. First, heart. Second, speech. And then, behaviour. The thing that bothers me is when someone says they're a Christian and their mouth says something else. I see comedians and TV personalities who say they're Christians. Some days down the road, you Hmm, well, I don't know. It's not what we say. How do others know? Jesus said, how will the world know you're my disciples if you have love one for another? If you have love one for another. The world needs to know. People around here need to know. But it's usually my behaviour that puts other people off wanting to know Jesus Christ. Don't match up. Happened with, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus called them people, the Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, don't, you know, you know my thing, but you don't do them, you know? You act out a different life altogether. How do others know we're Christians? Now, I think that's a daily thing, you know, and sometimes... I react, I act in a way and say, oh, I don't know about that, you know. But God wants us. Heart, speech and character that others might know we're his. We can live in the culture, but there must be something definitive about us to make people know that we're different. There's so many other things too, aren't there? Father, we thank you so much your love and your grace towards us thank you father that we have eternity in our hands because of jesus if any man is in christ he is a new creation old things are past and passing away and behold all things 
will become new. Thank you, Father, for all that we have in Jesus. We thank you so much for him. Father, at this Christmas time, as it comes rapidly upon us, we want to pray, Father, that the real meaning of Christmas will come out. Of all that we do, all that we say, Father, in our societies, on the television, maybe their fresh word from you, Lord, to our nation, that Jesus came to save us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.